Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Hello, Mark Homer here for Mark My Words. I'm here with Dave Ravenscroft. Dave is a, is a good friend who we've known for a number of years. We got to know Dave when we did a mentorship for him in Grand Cayman. Dave's effectively a tax exile. He lives abroad. He's made his money in the UK and internationally through a series of businesses. He's, he's involved in media advertising, property, and, and he's got a whole wealth of experience and, and quite a unique philosophy, I think, compared to many of the other business people which, which, which I know and, and, and have experience of dealing with. And Dave is an extremely positive person and somebody who just, you know, he's magnetic, he attracts uh, great things into his life. And I've certainly learned a lot from that. I wasn't always as kind of positive or, or um, I didn't always you know, have the, have the same philosophy that, that Dave does. So I'm really excited about this. I think we're going to learn a lot from Dave today. So Dave, welcome. Thanks, Mark. Great introduction. Yeah. Um, <laughs> D- Dave, could you, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your business career? You know, what, what, have, you, what have you been doing for, for the last few decades? Yeah, well, um, obviously, if we started right back from when I left school at 15, I just wanted to earn money. And I um, uh, didn't really have a great deal of ambition in those days. So I started off as a petrol pump attendant uh, on the government training scheme at £22.50 a week. I think I lasted there for about 12 months. So I, was, I, I lasted a little bit longer than I should have done because it's only a six-month uh, programme. But I think the, uh, the owner of the business liked me. Anyway, after that, I uh, went packing biscuits for a, a little while. But these jobs didn't really inspire me. And uh, the inspiration sort of came in through those particular jobs that I needed to go out and earn more money. And uh, I found my uh, niche in sales. And I started working for different companies. Uh, and I did quite well in sales until I found my niche in the advertising and marketing business in 1989. And then I've stuck to that type of business for the last 28 years, apart from other things as well. So I started those businesses in the UK and then expanded uh, the advertising and marketing business out to Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada and the US. And we had other operations in uh, the Philippines and, and those types of things. So the, these businesses, Dave, I mean, they're not insignificant by any stretch. You know, you, you got going in the 80s with it and you obviously spotted a, a niche. Just give us an idea of the scale of, of, of these businesses. You know, how many people you employ, revenue, you know, give us some numbers. We employ, I think, probably about 200 people throughout the, throughout the world and revenue figures... Uh, we've just sold our uh, Australian business in, uh, I can't actually tell you the exact figure, but uh, they raised 25 million in which to buy our Australian business. So it's quite substantial and um, we have those types of operations in the other countries as well that I mentioned. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're relatively, something that I've always noticed with you and something that I know Rob and I have, have taken a lot from 
is how detached you are from those businesses. You obviously know what's going on. You know, you, you have board meetings, you have updates, but you're not, you're not involved in them on a day-to-day basis, are you? No, I took a back seat from the day-to-day running of the businesses for, in 2007. And I stayed in the UK for a couple of years and we had a good management team in place. And then I, then I left and moved to the Cayman Islands, which does detach you a lot because you're sort of out of the same time zone. So the first few years of detaching yourself is quite difficult. But once you've, uh, once you've done it, it's, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So how have, you, how have you managed to scale that? I guess it's about getting great people around you because certainly when we started Progressive, I couldn't even imagine not being here every day because I just thought, well, if we're not there, the thing's going to fall apart and we're not going to be able to re- rely on anyone. And of course, in the early days, we didn't have a hierarchy or a structure or you know, good teams, management teams, that kind of thing. But you know, how did you do it? How, how did you create that structure so that, you didn't have to be there every day. It didn't all fall apart when you, you didn't turn up for work. Well, it's not easy getting, that, getting the right people in place, but it's all down to the people that you have around you. And we got some help from uh, a guy who had a corporate background who helped us structure the business, put the right people in the right places, and we just took his advice, really. Yeah, so you, you effectively you, you brought this expert in what a management consultant to, to put the hierarchy and the teams in place so that you could... Um, you, you could scale this business, yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, just just tell us a little bit more about how the business works. You, you put screens into into various waiting areas? Yeah, into busy footfall locations, so we put them in doctor surgeries, Yeah. Uh, in some McDonald's restaurants, we used to do uh, uh, gyms, fitness centres, uh, convenience stores, uh, that type of thing. Uh, we put the screen in the Post offices was a main one as well. We put them in the queuing area, so while people are waiting to view, waiting to get served, they've got something to to look at. So essentially, these people are pretty captive. They're waiting for something, and therefore they're they're then exposed to advertising, which you pump in effectively into their into their mind. And I suppose you you share the revenue with the the, the, the location, do you? Uh, we do on certain occasions, but uh, in others we don't. Um, and it's only a small part of the revenue because we install all the kit for free uh, and in a lot of situations. But uh, we found that the medium now has been taken on board by a lot more businesses. It's sort of more mainstream now and uh, people are realizing the value of it. So we have now the companies that are looking at, uh, uh, rather than having it supported by advertising, they buy the, the kit from us. We produce the content for them, which is content normally about their own business and uh, they'll not bother having any further has done it they'll just have it for their own business interesting interesting so i mean you know dave you're you're a pretty humble guy you know and i i've noticed over the years that you you've managed to attract the right people towards you how do you how do you pick those people you know when you you know let's say you've got your uk business or your australian business you've you've clearly picked a couple of or a few leaders there who are are going to be right for that business. What would you would you look for in those people? Well, it's a difficult one, that Mark. Um, obviously, you've got to have uh, trust, which is the main thing. If they're not trustworthy, then uh, you may as well look for somebody else. But uh, it's getting to know that person, uh, knowing that they think similar to you, uh, but that have different skill sets than you, uh, which can help complement what your what your strengths are. 
So really it's about finding people who are different from you so that their attributes effectively complement yours and um, you know they can do all the stuff that you don't want to or can't do. And of course you've got to trust them. That's got to be a big thing. You must have had lots of setbacks over the years, lots of things that held you back or you know some some big things some big clangers that happened what was your biggest setback and how did you come back from it well i've had many setbacks throughout my career some business some personal i suppose the most recent one would be uh being taken to court by the australian government that was uh, a real big shock for me because it was as i've taken a back seat from the business i wasn't there on a day-to-day basis and then i found out that it was been taken to court it was a, a big shock so I had to get back involved in the business and find out exactly why this thing had happened you know and it was a real difficult time but I made sure that uh, found out exactly what what went on mm-hmm. and it did seem that we had made some mistakes within the business and we'd fallen foul of some recent laws that had been brought in by the Australian government and we had ended up having to uh, plead guilty to the charge, some of the charges. What very watered down charges, but at, at first it was looking like we may lose the whole of the Australian business and be fined a substantial amount of money as well. But uh, I uh, suppose the, the, the biggest lesson that I learned from that was that sometimes your competition can be an asset because it was uh, our competition that I asked for advice. And they advised me on what to do to uh, to reduce the charges and um, and overcome the, the problems that we had. And you you really have overcome those issues, haven't you? Because from going from a position of I don't know potentially you know losing the business, you know you had to go to or you didn't have to go to court, but you know you you were in a, a tough place. But you you rolled your sleeves up, you got involved, you fixed the problem. And these things are often fixable. And you've gone on to to sell and you know the, the, for for tens of millions. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, and that that how how you know what period has all that happened in? That was in twelve months period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is um you know it's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Going from um, yeah. losing it to tens of millions. Yeah. It is. It just goes to show what you can do when you get stuck in and roll your sleeves up. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. So um, yeah, you must be quite proud of that. So. Innovation, iteration, and, and following pre, uh, proven business models. So, you know, innovation, we you know Apple were quite good at that before Steve Jobs died. And, you know, they, they, then others iterate and they iterate too. And then, I don't know, maybe you'd have more proven business models. I suppose Apple is a proven business model, but you may have more staid business models like, I don't know, an electricity supplier. What's your take on those three types of business? Which, which do you prefer and, um, and why? I mean, Apple's just a fantastic success story, isn't it? And it's great if you, if you have got that innovation and you can come up with it. Proven business models, I mean, I know lots of people that have bought McDonald's franchises, which is a proven business model, who are multimillionaires by just following that, that process. So there's, there's good, I suppose, uh, there's positives in, in all of the um, models. Yeah, I mean, you you effectively see, you know, some of those old school businesses. Some of the owners make more money, maybe because they can leverage them easier, or they can borrow money against them easier, or or maybe it's it's clearer how to run them, so they can put 
you know they can they can scale and put bigger teams in I suppose a lot quicker um, the proven ones sorry the 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 ones where you need to innovate well it's usually pretty clear isn't it that you um, you end up trying a lot of stuff a lot of stuff fails and then you end up iterating and, and, and fixing it. I suppose that's yours is a bit more of an innovative business model isn't it you, you've got I don't know you've got competition but maybe when you started you probably didn't have much at all did you no, we was first probably the first into the market with the screens. Yeah. But in a previous life, we just used to put TV systems in there with a video player. <laughs> a VCR. Um, a VCR, maybe. <laughs> Betamax. <laughs> we didn't go the Betamax route. We went the VHS route. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did the right thing then, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. A little bit too much innovation there. Yeah. yeah. And then we changed that to CD-ROMs as well at one stage. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. As the years went on. That's right. Yeah. So what what one tip would you give someone to save them the most money in their business? I mean, we've been talking about how to you know, develop new stuff and make more revenue. But, you know, cost saving can um, can be quite important as well. What what one tip would you, you give someone to save the most money in their business? Research probably the most successful businesses in your area yeah some tips from that way or get a mentor who, yeah. who can help all important stuff and sound business advice from people with integrity so effectively finding great business people locally um, or in, in your field and get information from them yeah okay yeah try and learn from other people's mistakes yeah I, I certainly like doing that, or try to do that anyway, but it's always a little bit different when you do it, isn't it? It is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, if you were looking for finance or funding, you know, to start a new business or to grow a business, where would you look for that? To start a new business, um, it's probably a little bit more difficult. So you have to go to family and friends and um, maybe suppliers. Yeah. They're always, always good people for funding. But once you've established yourself, the banks are cheap money. It can be a bit hard for some people to crack. Pain in the arse. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, suppliers, uh, we, we, we got uh, some good funding from our suppliers, some good uh, payment uh, terms when we first started out. We had 90 days, so it's three months free funding. Yeah, that's got to be a way forward, hasn't it? Um, yeah. So that effectively means you haven't got to buy a load of, or pay for a load of stock. You just you take it and fire it out, and then um, hopefully you get paid before you have to pay the supplier. Is that right? That's it. Yeah. 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 That's... Well, our business model was we used to sell the advertising space and then install the kit. So we could then get the kit, install it, get paid by our advertisers, and, and pay for the kit. Yeah. And were you you were out on the road originally because you were the you were the salesman, weren't you? Yes. So how did you sell the kit? What what were you doing on a, a daily basis? Well, there was no having to sell the kit in those days. It's just uh, when you told somebody that you were to install them a nice screen in the queuing area, it was going to be free of charge, supported by local advertising. It was taken on board quite quickly. Was it? Wasn't, yeah, it wasn't difficult for people to realize the benefit of it yeah advertising to, to the customers you know they're in their shop maybe advertising certain products so it's quite easy so you had like the magic pill this this kind of product which people wanted and uh, 
there wasn't much competition and Dave found a space and moved in. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah. That's interesting. There aren't many industries like that, are there? And I bet your industry's not like that now. There are a few people out there still doing the same type of thing, but it's it's not as easy to get the sites these days. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's matured and um, yeah. So, in terms of investment, what long term, what single long term investing strategy would you say always stands the test of time? Well, investing in properties uh, got to be the one for me. I invested in a house in 1990 at the height of the property boom, just before interest rates bumped up to 15%. A couple of months after I bought the place, I think I was in negative equity by £20,000, but I kept the house. I paid off the mortgage and it's worth three times as much as it was in those days. So mm. it was a harsh lesson to buy that house in the first place because it took me another 16 years then to invest <laughs> in more property because I, I, I had that sour pill. But uh, since then, I've, um, I have a property investment company and invest in property all the time now. So you, you've done a lot of projects, haven't you? You bought a lot of initially small terraces, and I think you probably still do. But then you've done developments. You've, you've done, what, big blocks of flats, refurb them. Um, tell us a, a little bit about some of your investments. Uh, yeah, like you say, we've bought uh, single lets to start with. And then we've bought some more commercial side of stuff, offices, retail units, blocks of flats, as you mentioned, renovate them and, and let them out. And with some of those, we have joint venture investors. Others we've just bought through a company. Others we've had um, loans from uh, people who wanted to get a return on their money. So I've short-term loans up people for 12 months and give them a better interest than they get at the bank. And you're, you're, you're about to start a, a new property networking event in the north of England, Progressive Property Network. Tell us a little bit about that. Where is it? What are you going to be doing? I think you're doing it with a business partner as well. I am, yeah. I've got a joint venture partner, Chris Worden, who's yep. uh, running that. Yeah. Uh, I'm not in the country that often, but uh, I will be there as much as I can. But it's uh, a one one night event for a few hours, once a month, and we'll get a group of people together. Anybody who's interested in property or interested in networking with people that are in property can come along. It's an open house, and we'll just chat about property information, help anybody with any issues they may have and try and impart our knowledge onto them if possible and uh, see if we can help them in any way. Yeah. And, and when are you launching and where is it? Uh, we'll be launching that in April. We're yeah. not exactly sure of the location, but it is up in the northwest uh, near Blackpool, yeah. stroke Preston. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it'll be in that location. But, well, uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll be up there to speak and uh, yeah, I'll probably, I, I might, I might try and get into Blackpool Airport. I might take the helicopter up and um, and uh, yeah, whiz round. So maybe you'll be around if 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 you're oh, back from that. your travels, Dave, because because you you do travel yeah, quite a lot, don't you? Well, I, yeah, I have been traveling quite a lot because uh, with having businesses in all different parts of the world, and I have enjoyed the traveling. But the last three four months, I've not travelled as much because my other half's pregnant and due. Congratulations! Our first, our first uh, child and. On 8th of February. Yeah. So I promised that I'd stay home and local while she's going through this third trimester. So yeah, I won't be traveling quite as much, but I'll definitely make it, be making it back to the UK uh, every now and again. That's for sure. Yeah, you, you always seem to be able to make it to Monaco for the GP as well, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's falling just at the right time again, hasn't it? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rather respectful. Yeah, 
she was just she just got pregnant when the last one was on, so it was uh, it was in the first month. Yeah. So and baby will be born before the next one, so mm. I'll probably be there again. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, rather a spectacle last time. Yeah, oh yeah, in Monaco. <laughs> and you're in Thailand right now, so you're um, you're, you're building a house, aren't you? You're uh... yeah, we're uh, building a few little houses up in the village. Yeah, up in Nakhon Sen. That's coming to uh, an end at the end of January, and then we've just got some uh, a pool and, and uh, some landscaping to do, which will probably take another three months after that. Yeah, but we've also bought a house in. Um, just outside Bangkok near the airport. So it's not too far from me to travel to the airport. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Sounds like you're uh, you're living the dream. So finally, Dave, you know, everybody who's listening, who's early on, you know, they want to start a business, they want to start investing. What, what single bit of advice could you give them in order to, you know, best start that new business or, or investing strategy? Just in three words, it would be get a mentor. When I say get a mentor, it's pretty broad brush and I don't think people really understand what that means. But what it does mean is look for other people in business that have done greater things than you think you want to do or they've done stuff similar to you but are much further down the line than you are and ask their advice. Because a lot of the time, people like to help other people out. And like I mentioned earlier, sometimes your potential competitor can actually be a great advisor and helper. And the, the prime example of that was in Apple's early days, when Steve Jobs needed some money to uh, push Apple forward to the next level, Bill Gates funded him. Did he? I didn't realize that. Yeah, to the tune of, I think, about 120 million. Did they? <laughs> because yeah. they almost became <laughs> rivals, didn't they? They were rivals, weren't they, for a long time, but yeah. uh, Microsoft went through it bit of a tough time in the 90s, didn't they, with the antitrust case, and yeah. uh, I think uh, Steve Jobs was uh, played that to his advantage. <laughs> yeah, they always do, don't they? Yeah. Well, you better keep me in business, otherwise you're not going to have any enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. So, I mean, you you know, you're certainly one for surrounding yourself with the the, the right people. I've met some great people through, through you, Dave, and I know from from my own experience you you become the five closest people to you so you you gravitate towards them don't you and so it's not just methods and strategies and you know specific questions that might answer you just become more like them so if you surround you you surround yourself with people who you want to become more like that's got to be a good thing and 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 get rid of the negativity and um you know some of the some of the people that don't serve you that's right absolutely well, Dave, it's it's been fascinating. Thank you. I really appreciate your time because I know it's it's limited, especially with all your your interests and businesses that that you're uh, you're involved with. Good luck for you know the the, um, the 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 baby that's that's due in a couple of months. I uh, I can't wait to to see the pictures, and um, and thank you for for being on the podcast. Well, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. I've uh, been able to help inspire some of your listeners. Indeed, indeed. I'll send you some of the messages as they as they come through. so that's been mark homer for mark my words thank you for listening